Welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. This is your home for progressive, thought-provoking real talk in the chiropractic profession. Featuring the legends, the innovators, and the thought leaders that move our profession forward. And now your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, And just like our podcast recently with, uh, with John Filardo, I almost called him Dr. John Filardo. He is an honorary doctor from the University of Western States, but he's not a uh, chiropractor by any means. Uh, John Filardo from the American Chiropractic Association. I foregone any sponsor or partner mentions uh, just out of sort of professional levity and respect for the American Chiropractic Association. The FTCA does have sponsors and partners. Please listen to other podcasts. And, and uh, when we do our housekeeping at the beginning of each podcast, we do mention them. But for this one, this is all ACA. This is all American Chiropractic Association without any promotion on the side. And I'm going to introduce Dr. Chris Anderson. Uh, Chris, I appreciate you sending your CV, but this this thing is embarrassing. It makes me feel lazy, and I am not lazy. This is just shame. I, I feel ashamed when I look at your CV of all the things I have not done. What it isn't is I don't get to uh, introduce Dr. Anderson from a bio standpoint because uh, I'm reading a full-on CV here, but... Um, can I say immediate past president of the North Dakota Chiropractic Association? I technically no. I, I'm actually no uh, longer uh, a, an executive member of that board. I am the insurance liaison now, which means they gave me a name tag, so I don't uh, and a leash, <laughs> so I don't get too far away. Uh, so, how many active committees or advisory positions are you in within the ACA? Within the ACA, my the main role I have that um, is you know relies uh, the most on my skills is the uh, advisor to the AMA RUC HICPAC, which is just a whole bunch of letters that has to do with RVUs with valuing codes. Uh, there is a CPT advisor as well on that uh, other side of the coding creation aisle. Sure. Uh, that's Dr. Leo Bronson at, at the moment. But uh, so my role with the RUC HICPAC is to represent our profession through the ACA you know, when it comes to valuing codes. And then from that, uh, my experience and knowledge gained in that role is pretty useful for the health policy and uh, an advocacy committee. So I serve on that commission and then several of the subcommittees therein. And I, I chair the coding development and value subcommittee as well as the Medicare subcommittee. So it, it all kind of spawns from the AMA RUC kickback role, uh, but it's all kind of wrapped up in health policy. They all blend together, right? So anytime there's going to be a policy coding or billing type of scenario, they're going to call upon you some level. I will probably be in the discussion at some point. Yes. How did you gain this particular skill set, which is unique? You know, I, to this point, I really don't know. Uh, I know that uh, <laughs> the way I ended up in this role was 
uh, being well connected to the previous uh, HICPAC advisor, Dr. Tony Hamm. And when he was ready to step down, uh, he sought some input from his colleagues, and my name was in the mix for this. So uh, I was able to train in through his guidance and his uh, long experience in that role. He's actually the first chiropractor to chair or co-chair rather the AMA Ruck HICPAC. So <clears throat> he would run our you know meetings uh, that, during his time on the HICPAC. So that's kind of how it started and then just being interested in it and curious about it and continuing to engage in the discussions and trying to, to bring uh, the best evidence-based care to patient care. I think knowing that uh, I have that clinical experience, I, that weighs heavily on my skills in the arena with the RUC HICPAC. So it's kind of interesting because, um, you know, you may not think of health policy and, and clinical care being so intertwined, uh, but I think it's a really important part of my skill set for this role. I think it is too. Did you, so we are here today to discuss a very specific happening. Uh, and would you like to introduce what's going on and what kind of opportunities are now available to somebody or a small group of people at least? Yes, absolutely. And this is the part I'm excited about. So we could stop talking about me and start talking about an opportunity for uh, ACA members. As I came into the role with the AMA HICPAC, um, or the RUC HICPAC rather, it was, uh, you know, just sort of jumping off the, the end of the deep end. And it just so happened that it coincided with this little thing called the COVID-19 pandemic. So as I became the advisor, we quickly transitioned to virtual meetings. And so my introduction to the uh, operations of the committee was virtual and I didn't get a chance to interact with our colleagues. Now, I'll say that the HICPAC, just to define it a little bit better, is made up of uh, um, the uh, healthcare uh, provider advisory committee. So that's the, basically the non-MD providers. So optometry, um, uh, physical therapy, occupational therapy, uh, speech language pathology, you know, chiropractic, obviously, you know, these are the different groups that, uh, you know, physician's assistant, you know, these are the groups that come together to form our committee and the codes that come to the RUC that have to do with our services are then in front of our committee specifically for evaluation decisions. So my introduction to this was, um, here you go, and good luck. And I, uh, having now been back in person in these meetings in the last year and a half, it's uh, pretty clear that the other societies do a little bit more to help introduce their members and their advisors, especially to this process. And so what we're working to do between myself and Dr. Bronston and the staff with ACA is introduce a fellowship program that would allow uh, eligible candidates to be brought into the mix of the CPT and RUC process, learn how it works, and ultimately uh, be on a trajectory to take over as an advisor or an alternate advisor at some point in the future. So it allows the ACA to build out a much, uh, a much uh, stronger bench, so to speak. And, you know, what I've come to uh, understand about this role is that as you asked about my skills, 
bringing, uh, bring what skills I brought to this role. I think the skills I bring back to the ACA are just exponentially greater because I've had access to the different societies and the inner workings of some of these meetings. And what we need to be able to do from the healthy association is to bring more people into that mix. Uh, the biggest challenge is just that this is a, uh, an issue of confidentiality. You can't just um, tell everybody what's discussed in those meetings. Uh, sure. So being able to bring people in and have their, uh, you know, the blessing of AMA and, and have them uh, be allowed access to the information that's being discussed, being privy to the discussion itself, and then being able to discuss, uh, you know, any sort of strategy or um, any sort of, sort of thoughts after the fact with our sub, what's now a subcommittee uh, for the CPT and RUC uh, is, I think, just vital for us to have a stronger association, uh, but also better prepare the next person uh, when it comes time for me to move on to a different role. Okay, so let's make sense of this. We have our American Chiropractic Association. They work in an integrative fashion with other professionals to discuss amongst the AMA uh, coding, billing, relative value codes, all in an advisory um, capacity. Uh, in the past, the ACA has sort of just tagged people to go there and do that based on recommendations and talents. But now there's going to be a process, a recruiting process. I guess you could call it a developmental process. Does Absolutely. That sound about right? Spot on. That's exactly Which right. Sounds like it also allows a lot more objectivity in the decision making process and inclusivity as well. Um, Definitely. Instead of, you know, I'm not going to accuse anybody, but somebody picking their buddy or someone who just happens to be in their state and tagging them to to participate in the committee. It, it seems like it's a more standardized process on the top down. Absolutely. It, it really should be um, uh, a tra- more transparent. Not that there's been an issue. At right. any point, the, the previous advisors are exemplary. You, you would recognize their names, and, and they're excellent uh, in the profession. They were the right people at the time. And now this is just uh, a continuation of that same process, and we're building out uh, what, we're think, what we think is a uh, longer-term, a more sustainable path and a better path for the association as a whole. And well, this is what happens when you work in an interdisciplinary environment, right? You see how other other groups operate and you can borrow their best practices and incorporate them in your organization. Exactly. That's exactly right. So, you know, we're not uh, creating anything from scratch. We're (laughs) borrowing and stealing (laughs) everything we know that has value uh, to the association of profession as an extension of that. And we're excited to be able to introduce this uh, to ACA members starting uh, September 5th. What is the ideal candidate? Who, in your mind, who shine? Who would shine as an ideal candidate? I think the ideal candidate is someone who has an interest in coding and billing, uh, but also in the interprofessional workings of healthcare. Uh, being able to attend a meeting with societies that represent all of healthcare is, uh, to some extent, uh, intimidating. 
uh, at first, as a, especially as a chiropractor. We're not typically used to attending these large interdisciplinary meetings. And being able to conduct a, you know, a reasonable conversation about, uh, again, using the, the best available evidence to discuss what's right in healthcare and being able to then objectively uh, define exactly what goes in to delivering specific services, the amount of work and the amount of time and being able to come to um, uh, a recommendation from the, the RUC on the value is, is really the whole process all in one. So it, it really takes a confident person with good communication skills. And the coin of the realm then it is really knowing the current level or the current state of scientific evidence in healthcare and in our profession specifically. What would be some hard requirements? You need a you need a top secret clearance. You don't need any top secret clearance. You know, being I, I often I'm fond of saying that being a DC is enough. Uh, too often. Oh, it's we, plenty enough. <laughs> it's plenty enough. You're right. And actually, in today's environment, where so few of our healthcare peers are operating the business of healthcare the way we do routinely, we have a a real advantage in that regard because we do see. Uh, healthcare delivery from beginning to end in a lot of cases for those of us who are in private practice. You're, you're seeing the patient, you're providing the service, you're doing the billing and coding, and you're working with the insurance company uh, on the back end uh, to get the payment. So being able to see how that whole process functions and understanding firsthand where it's dysfunctional is one of the real keys to being successful in this role. Because you'll you'll be able to bring that to any discussion you have with uh, colleagues in other societies or other uh, specialties. Are there so? But if you are going to do the ACA's business and be a representative of the association, uh, you're going to have to be a member, right? That's correct. This is for you. You are representing the profession, but it is through the ACA. So, being an ACA member is required, and. Hopefully, people understand the value of that already, and we don't have to go into um, exactly, you know, what the ACA does and how it uh, protects our ability to practice. That's a long discussion. Uh, but yeah, we don't have to. Yeah, that's We're... absolutely the 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 table stakes for this role is being a, an ACA member in good standing, having some clinical experience in practice, uh, at least half time. This isn't something that. Uh, we believe needs a full-time practice and actually having um, travel requirements for this can put a burden on someone who might be uh, in a lone wolf practice. So that would be a consideration I think we would have. But ultimately, the main requirement is being in good standing as a member of the ACA. How would one apply if they were interested? Yes. So uh, going to the uh, volunteer portal on the ACA member page, there is a description available that uh, gives you some insight into what this fellowship is uh, and what it entails, and then it gives you an opportunity to apply. So if anyone has volunteered for a position with the ACA in the past, this will be familiar to you. Go to the same volunteer portal. This will be an active um, volunteer opportunity beginning September 5th, 
and you'll submit your application. And you know the main part of the application is is really just uh, seeing a, a solid writing sample and understanding the person's uh, interest and abilities. And I think you know writing nowadays is uh, something that we all take for granted because you can churn right. you can churn a lot of really good content out through uh, uh, Chat GPT or some other uh, method, but there really isn't uh, a better way to understand someone's ability to communicate than seeing their writing samples. So we're not putting a lot of uh, parameters around it. Uh, we really just want to see uh, the interested applicants uh, explain why they're interested and um, what skills they bring to that role. Excellent. And I, you said volunteer portal, like you're not going to, no one's getting get paid. This isn't, this isn't a paid gig. <laughs> Absolutely not. And I'll I'll back up and and just to uh, in in uh, so that more listeners understand how the whole process of uh, valuing codes works. The the AMA convenes the relative value uh, committee, the RUC, to assess codes and put them basically in rank order of value. So every Every CPT code that exists uh, exists on a continuum of value, and that value is based on the amount of clinical work that goes into the service. It then includes practice expense, and uh, a small portion is made up of the liability insurance costs for those who perform the service. So those three elements go into making a value, and and it's critical that they maintain the code set in rank order of value. And most of the meetings are spent, the time in the meetings are spent discussing minutes, uh, one and two minutes here, one or two minutes there, sure. and pre and intra and post service time. And, and uh, contentious debate occurs <laughs> over minutes of time uh, across different specialties so that they get this rank order correct. Now, once they have a recommendation from the RUC, that is submitted to CMS. So CMS is actually the uh, final say on this. And they're the ones who determine the actual value that we experience in practice. So the RUC exists as a volunteer organization. So it's not that the ACA is somehow, um, you know, just sending all, a bunch of volunteers all of the societies send volunteers because this is an extra um, an exercise of our First Amendment rights to uh, be able to talk to our government, basically. And that is why the RUC is convened. That is how we make recommendations to CMS is is based on the First Amendment, believe it or not. Uh, the rights to petition the government. And exactly. so this this should kind of like dissolve or at least dispel some of the myth or some of the fable out there that some of these prices and codes and numbers are just kind of made up out of thin air. Absolutely. They they're they are absolutely not made up out of thin air. It is um it is remarkable to me to see you know cardiothoracic surgeons and orthopedic surgeons and uh, primary care physicians discuss Again, uh, pre and post time um, down to the minute and yeah. really debate what time is necessary to perform a specific service and to make sure that the time that's allocated to the code 
includes the uh, healthcare provider or the physician's time and not any ancillary staff. They're very strict about making sure there gotcha. isn't any overlap. That was, yeah, that was going to frame into my next question. Okay. Does this sort so of kind of start to explain perhaps the difference in quote unquote pricing between a chiropractic adjustment and say an osteopathic manipulative procedure, like even specifically the factor of liability itself would reflect in a different pricing, wouldn't it? Or value, sorry, value. Value, you're absolutely right. And this is one of my favorite examples to share with our peers because we we often see that OMT is reimbursed at a higher rate than CMT. Uh, and that's the way they're defined by the codes, chiropractic manipulative therapy and osteopathic manipulative therapy. And you're, you're spot on with the elements that go into the value. So when we talk about a two-region CMT compared to a two-region OMT, the actual work that goes into both of those services is the same. The, the relative value units are the same. It's 0.48, I believe, off the top of my head. And then when we go to the, uh, what's reimbursed, that's going to be based on the total RVUs. And as you astutely picked up on, gotcha. that's going to include not only the liability insurance, but the practice expense. Those are the three elements. The work, the pra okay. yes, practice yes. expense, and liability insurance. So if you compare our practice expense and liability insurance to that of the osteopath, you'll quickly understand why the RVUs for the OMT are just slightly higher than the CMT. It's reflective of those two elements. Have you Has, has this process helped you gain uh, appreciation, respect, understanding, perspective? Or, or I should say, I, I can assume you have gained appreciation, respect, and all those things for other professions. Um, but I would rather ask you more Socratically, uh, what appreciation, respect, or other observations have you made on the on the professions you've worked with in this endeavor? My experience with the RUC has been, in a lot of ways, observational until just recently. We, obviously, with CMS, we have just a few codes that we bill and are reimbursed for, which means our participation in the valuation process is pretty limited. Now, this past year, we we did participate in the resurvey of the acupuncture codes family. And in that experience, what I really respect from our healthcare colleagues is that regardless of what your license is uh, or the type of service you provide or where you provide that service, if you're prepared and you come to the table and and uh, make a strong argument for your position, you're going to be treated with respect. Uh, they understand that you're delivering services that are important to patients, and they're going to do their best to make sure that your arguments are solid and uh, would hold up to scrutiny by CMS. Because ultimately, once the RUC makes that recommendation to CMS, they want to make sure that those recommendations are upheld. Yeah. And thankfully, they are uh, the vast majority of the time. But it really is critical to go through a rigorous process to make sure that when we 
report the amount of work that goes into a specific service and that we understand the expense that goes into providing those services. Everyone pretty much across the board was, was just excellent to work with and, and uh, really it didn't seem to me like there was any sort of bias against the profession. So in that regard, it's been an excellent experience and something that I hope more people are able to experience themselves. And, and I hope, um, you know, the fellowship helps to uh, bring other people into that um, same arena so they can hopefully have the same experience and make the same observations. I would imagine a, like a lot of endeavors uh, when they're working as a, as a, a, a unit, a disparate unit all working together to go a certain direction, they have to make a foolproof, produce a foolproof product that is uh, that can withstand scrutiny by CMS. So yeah, everyone's got to kind of be on the same page, right? That's exactly right. And so when we revet, when we resurveyed the acupuncture codes, we actually worked in collaboration with the two societies who currently bill acupuncture to Medicare. Uh, more often than any other uh, uh, specialty, and that would be family medicine and PM&R. So those two societies worked with us to uh, resurvey the codes, which means we send out questionnaires to practicing um, physicians, and they respond with the amount of time that it takes for them to perform the services. And then we go through the process of uh, determining what the practice expense is, and then they put in their calculations for the liability insurance. We don't actually collect any information on that part, but uh, we have to collaborate and work together to get those data and present them in a meaningful way that the RUC understands and accepts. So it, it was, um, it was a great experience. And again, it, I, you know, outside of the meeting, we actually uh, heard a lot of positive feedback from other societies who were around the table, but weren't necessarily part of the conversation. And, it's it's been uh, very encouraging to hear so many different specialty societies talk about how they have begun to refer their patients to chiropractors and now they have a better understanding of what we do and they're you know just strong advocates for it even so uh, you know we're probably dealing with a biased uh, group of folks in that meeting but uh, at the same time you know they're going to be up on the best current evidence for sure um, so they're going to understand that the data are available and and support what we do. Uh, so uh, that's a that's a great part of this because you do get to interact with so many different specialty societies that, and again, this is an, a meeting hosted by the AMA. So uh, to be in that room uh, is something that I think would change the perspective of most uh, practicing chiropractors. Uh, that must mean the, the lunches are nicer, right? Well, you, you only you only get a paid lunch. You get you get lunch um, served if you serve on two committees, which one is the RUC, which we're not allowed. Well, we could serve on if you're if you're a HICPAC co-chair, you do technically serve then on the RUC. So one person from the HICPAC is, sits with the RUC and would be uh, you know able to have the lunch. And then practice expense is another pretty robust uh, subcommittee that has a lot of work to do. So they, they okay. feed those two groups, but the rest of us are off on <laughs> trying to make, make do, but that's okay. All right. So if somebody is an ACA member in good standing, do, is there a time, a time requirement for how long they have to be an ACA member? 
No, I, we haven't. Oh my gosh! Join minimum. right now. Join. You should join now anyway. I I can't uh, guarantee that uh, joining just to apply for this is the best uh, <laughs> approach, but. Uh, if it gets you uh, into the membership and gets you to understand that everything the ACA does, then uh, by all means, give it a shot. It's a start. <laughs> ACA member in good standing. You got some solid communication skills. You can play well with others. Uh, you're evidence-informed. Uh, you have a passion for billing, coding, uh, RVUs, uh, all that sort of thing. And you want to make a difference in this world, in this profession. Go to the volunteer portal and apply is there a deadline yes uh, i believe we're going to be accepting applications through october 30th so once it's open it'll be open for you know about six seven weeks or so gotcha. plenty of plenty of time great is there anything else you can think to add i you know i just appreciate the time and being able to share this opportunity with ftca podcast listeners uh, i know there's a lot who are aca members so you know, this is an opportunity just to, again, uh, look behind the curtain, see how things operate. Uh, you know, understanding these things is the best way to answer a lot of questions about yeah. where our profession stands and, and how we, we really fit into the current healthcare picture. So for anyone who's interested, please reach out to me personally if you'd like. Uh, go to the ACA and look at the requirements and, and everything you'll be doing. It's I, I can't think of a better way to serve the profession, honestly, because you bring so much of what you learned back to the ACA and that that knowledge is shared with so many different subcommittees and works just a, a, across the profession in so many ways. So uh, for those who are interested, please go to that volunteer portal and check it out. Yeah, and if you don't, I will. So that's my threat. <laughs> I hope you do. That'd be awesome. Well, I, anytime I have an opportunity to talk to you, I drop everything. You're one of my personal professional colleague, hero friends. So I appreciate you and all the work you've done. Well, that means a lot, Bobby. It really does coming from you and everything that you've um, done for the profession as well. So uh, I appreciate it. And I will see you in DC in a couple of months for ACA Engage. Fantastic. Hopefully we'll see all the listeners there too. Yeah, see, we're on the right page here. <laughs> Take care. Thanks, Bobby.